Good morning, everyone. I think it's a bit dark in here, no? Should we turn up all the lights? Yeah, the, the house lights aren't on because of worship, that's why. There we go. Ah, let there be light, and there was light. All right, so before we move forward, uh, I've got a quick word to share with you. I, um, my wife and I met with Pastor Q and with uh, Jenny last night. And uh, you know those packets we gave you, <clears throat> the good pleasure packets? Um, we're not going to do those. <laughs> we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to go in a different direction. And the reason is um, we've discovered that half the people are not here yet. And if we start going into this process, the rest of the people which come in tonight are going to come into the process halfway in, and they're going to miss the earlier exercises. So we actually, last night was only the introduction. We didn't even do an exercise last night. We didn't even do exercise one in this packet. It gets a lot more intense. And secondly, we realized having all of your children here is not a good, um, is not good for doing this kind of process because you can't be like running to get the kids as soon as the session's over. You need time to like sit on the floor and cry with one another. That, you know, that type of thing, you know. And you need time to go sit husband and wife and process in between the sessions. So we talked to Pastor Q about the possibility of maybe us coming back again in the future to actually do this process, okay? But in the meantime, uh, we're just going to preach. And we just want to encourage you, and we want to strengthen you with the word of the Lord, and we want to see if the Holy Spirit might do something here for the families of Hope Church. So you got to be like a fish, you know, every day. you got to discern where the Holy Spirit is going, and you just got to try to flow in that river. So that's all we're going to try to do is flow in the river that the Holy Spirit is creating and not try to create the river for him. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Repeat, say that with me. Do not be anxious about anything. Look at your spouse and preach it to them. Do not be anxious about anything. Look at somebody behind you and say, do not be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. Literally, in the Greek, it says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry, and he used the same Greek word there that Paul uses here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Merimnao, to worry or to be anxious. Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles are worried about. You know the difference between Gentiles and the people of God is that the Gentiles are always worried. They're always anxious. And when we live lives characterized by anxiety, worry, and fear, we are living like Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having a futile mind is a mind that is focused on failure, on impending doom, that believes that things just aren't going to work out right. It was Henry Nouwen that said, If you do not believe that evil will be overcome by good, you are an atheist. That is, to be a believer in Jesus Christ means that the foundation of our confidence that protects us from anxiety is that we serve a God who is already in the process of intervening. One of the Psalms says, he will perfect that which concerns you. We serve a God who is already in the process of perfecting that which concerns us. He will perfect that which concerns me so I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to walk in anxiety. And remember last night we laid out the paradigm. Anxiety is what leads to evil because anxiety cuts you off from empathy. Anxiety makes it physiologically impossible for empathy to transpire. And where there is no empathy... All a, a great host of evils can transpire. We are all capable of the greatest evil if we live without empathy. Zero empathy means that we have the propensity for evil. 
And so Jesus says, don't worry. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything because he does not want us to live in the presence of impending evil, but instead he wants us to live in the peace of God so that we're capable of good because when you are walking in empathy, which is brought about by the peace of God, you are capable of all manner of good. But when you're walking in anxiety and worry, which is the absence of the peace of God, you are capable of all manner of evil. Now, we've got to make a couple of distinctions because not all anxiety is bad. There's a difference between chronic anxiety and acute anxiety. Acute anxiety is actually a good thing. Acute anxiety is when you're driving your car down the road and a little boy chases his ball out in the street in front of you and that bolt of anxiety hits you, you that, that anxiety that hits you, that adrenaline that's released in your body allows you to, to act quickly. And so you can slam on the brakes and, oh, thank God, I didn't hit that kid. And that, anxi- that acute anxiety hits you. You can respond quickly to a dangerous circumstance. And then when the boy leaves, you calm back down, the acute anxiety lifts, and you go about your daily time. Chronic anxiety is when there's no kid running in front of your car, but you're still anxious as if there is. You're still worried. You're, you're, still, you're still overwhelmed with worry and fear, even though there's no lion in the street. There's no kid. Can you imagine if you didn't have acute anxiety? Like, you couldn't act quickly. Without that burst of acute anxiety, you'd be like, oh, there's a little boy. Boom. Oh, probably should have stopped. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you need that acute anxiety, that burst. That's actually the purpose of anxiety. That burst of energy that you get in a legitimately dangerous situation in which you must act quickly. But other than that, anxiety does not have any relational use. Now, with that established, we must next confess that we are all sinners, most of us probably, when it comes to the command not to be anxious. I can stand here and preach it till I'm blue in the face, but I'll be the first to tell you that it is so easy for anxiety to enter into a marriage between a husband and a wife. It's so easy for a husband or a wife or both to get a burst of anxiety at the thought that my spouse is not going to hear what I have to say. My spouse is not going to understand what I need. Anxiety hits us all the time. And when anxiety hits us, the first thing that happens is a dramatic loss of understanding. I was thinking about Luke 24, verses 13 through 32, this story of these two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. And as they're journeying to Emmaus, why are they going to Emmaus? Because Jesus died, and they thought it was all over. They're full of anxiety. They're full of fear. They're full of unbelief. And they're walking with each other on the road, but they're walking in fear, and they're walking in anxiety. And because of that, they have no understanding. They're walking in confusion. So they're experiencing fellowship. They're together, but their fellowship is one of confusion rather than of faith. Confusion rather than clarity. They've got no revelation. They've got no sense of the presence of God. They're abandoning their post. They're walking away from their discipleship. Why are they going to Emmaus? For some ministry? No, they're getting the heck out of there. They're out. They're done. It's over. He's dead. And in this fellowship of anxiety that transpires, Jesus interrupts. All of a sudden, Jesus joins himself to them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they said, You know, the stuff that's been going on around here. And he said, what stuff? And they stopped and looked at him and said, are you the only stranger in these parts that hasn't heard what's been going on around here? And he says, no, I have no idea. Notice how Jesus, when he comes into the fellowship of ignorance, he also pretends to be ignorant. (laughs) Well, what are you guys talking about? And they say, you know, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He was attested by God, uh, and he did mighty signs and wonders in the, in the, in the midst of the people. And, and we thought he was the one who was to restore Israel, but they took him with lawless hands, and they crucified him and put him in the grave. But some crazy things have been happening. Really? What happened? Well, our women said they went to the tomb, and they opened up the grave, and he was gone. They didn't see him, but they said he was alive. And Jesus says to them, You foolish 
Oh, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Did not the Messiah have to suffer before he entered into his glory? And then the scripture said, starting with Moses, he explained to them everything that was written in the scriptures about him. Now that was a Bible study. Like, I would give anything to be a part of that Bible study. He starts with Moses and says, Moses was talking about me right there. You see that? Takes him all the way through the Pentateuch. And then takes him all the way through 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Samuel. Takes him through the history of Israel. And then takes him through David and the Psalms. And then takes him through the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Then takes him all the way through the prophets and shows them everything that was written about him. Man, that was a mind. And imagine they're walking for hours. That must have been a mind-blowing Bible study. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not solve their problem yet? He did not even tell them that it was him who was talking to them yet. All he did was take them to Scripture and focus their hearts on what was written in Scripture. That is, the living presence of Jesus, first and foremost, opened up the Scriptures to them before he revealed to them his living presence. That is, even Jesus... Listen, you know, as, as... So... This is a church that loves the presence of the Lord. That's what Sonny and I love about Hope Church, is that Hope Church loves the presence of the Lord. Last year at the Grace Retreat, we were so blessed to see the children even at the altar, seeking the face of God and weeping before the Lord and praying over one another. And we wanted, you know, part of why we brought Alethea and why, you know, we bring her, I'm bringing her to the Grace Retreat again in May because we want her in that atmosphere of being able to seek the face of God with other children. And, the, and we, Sonny and I, we resonate so much with that because we love the living presence of God. We're talking to Pastor Q the other day, and Pastor Q was saying, yesterday actually, and Pastor Q was saying, you know, there's some ministers that have, a, have gifts. They're very gifted. But then there's others that bring the presence. And I want to bring the presence. And that, man, that's something just stirred in my heart. I was like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to I bring the presence, not just bring gifts. You know, I want the presence. It's the presence of God. But you know what's crazy is that they had the living presence of Jesus but did not recognize him because of their anxiety. You know what often cuts us off from the living presence of Jesus is our anxiety. We're walking in anxiousness and we're walking in worry and we're allowing all of this anxiety. Husbands and wives, you're walking on a road together. And you think, well, we're together, but you're cut off from the living presence of Jesus because you're being anxious and that anxiety is, is riddling your heart, and you're worried, and you're inside. You feel cut off from one, one another, even though you're standing side by side. And Jesus, seeing that their hearts were filled with anxiety, knew that if he was going to introduce them to his living presence, he had to do so through Scripture. What's the point that I'm making? The number one weapon that you have for building intimacy between you and your spouse are the words of scripture. And the number one protection against anxiety and fear are the words of scripture. The living presence of Christ is communicated to us through the living words of scripture. And often we want to skip steps. We want to go straight to presence and we want to skip the word. We don't have two scriptures to rub together, but yet we want the glory. We haven't spent five minutes meditating on a verse of scripture, but we want the glory. And we go right into our prayer closet, oh God, give me the glory. But we don't open up the Bible and meditate on scripture, and we forget that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. Jesus says, I want to give you my presence, but first I've got to give you my word. And as I give you my word, it's going to open your heart to my presence. The word of God comes to dispel our anxiety and our fear. You know, I have a long way to go. I wake up every morning in the flesh, honestly. I wake up every morning, and I don't want to pray. I really don't. I have no desire to pray. I wake up in the morning, and and I think to myself, you know, my daughter doesn't have to get up for another 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Maybe I should just sleep. <laughs> I mean, because 
you know, what good is this? There's this whole logic of the flesh. It's like spending this 30 minutes with God. What good is it going to do? It's not going to do any good. What's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. I do this every day and it does absolutely nothing for me. And I don't even allow those thoughts to congeal in my mind, but that's what I feel. Everything's in me. Like, I'm not getting up to pray. What a, that's so religious. <laughs> you know what I mean? So really, I'm such a legalist. I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going back to grace. <laughs> I'm coming out from under the law. But you know what I do? I, I, I recognize I cannot trust my own thoughts right now. That's the futility of my mind that Paul said don't walk in in Ephesians 4.17. That's futile thinking. And futile thinking is any time any component of your devotion to the Lord feels useless. It feels like it's not doing any good. You ever prayed and felt like this isn't doing any good? Because I know I cannot trust my own thoughts, I start with Scripture. And I just open up the words of Scripture. I always start my, my devotion to the Lord with Scripture, not with prayer. I don't even trust myself to pray yet. (laughs) I start with scripture and I just begin to read it over and over and over. I'm not the kind that reads a whole chapter in the morning. I might be able to do that at night, but in the morning, I got to start with one verse. Why? Because I haven't even obeyed that one yet. (laughs) How can I go to the next one? And matter of fact, I don't even believe it yet. God is my refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. But my flesh is going, no, he isn't. <laughs> so I got to stay there until I believe it. I've got to read that over and out loud. I've got to declare it out loud. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not be moved. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not be moved. And I do that over and over again until my spirit starts to wake up. And when my spirit starts to wake up, I know it because suddenly I start to believe it. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not be moved. God is my refuge and strength. And once my spirit wakes up and starts to believe it, now I can transition into prayer. Lord, you are my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not be moved. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the midst of the sea, though the oceans rage with their surging, Selah, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. All of a sudden, there's this awakening in the spirit that comes through the word and what does it do it kills all of my anxiety this is the key and this is the heart of what I want to communicate to you this morning Paul says do not be anxious about anything by the way there is a passive form of anxiety and there is an active form of anxiety Active anxiety is when you are actively worried about the fact that your spouse doesn't understand you, your spouse doesn't see you, your spouse is not concerned about meeting your needs. It's when you're actively angry or worried or sad or upset about what's going on between you and your spouse. But the passive kind of worry, because some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm not worried at all. Yes, because you've given up. (laughs) You're just as anxious as the active worrier, but all you've done is allowed your anxiety to to shut down your heart, to neutralize. You have no passion because you've just accepted in your heart and mind that my spouse is never going to understand me, my spouse is never going to hear me, and it's never going to be good for us, and this is just as good as it gets, so I might as well just accept that and move on with life. I remember I was talking to, to, to one of my friends, and I was telling him, my wife is so angry with me right now. My wife and I were going through such a difficult season, and I said, my wife is so angry with me right now, and she's expressing to me how angry she is, and it's so painful for me right now. And he said, oh, that's so good. And I said, why is it good? And he said, if she's still telling you how she feels, it means she cares. He said, what would be more concerning is if she was just quiet and not saying anything and not telling you what's in her. Listen, husbands, when your wife is telling you how she feels, you should rejoice in your heart. Great. She still cares. She hasn't given up. She's still engaged. Because the key to understanding marriage, and this is going to set you free. This is the greatest revelation that I've given you so far. The key to understanding marriage is that, wives, all men are idiots. 
When you married a man, you married a dummy. We make the stupidest mistakes. We say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We do the wrong thing at the wrong time. We forget things that we're not supposed to forget. And we're just dummies. We're just idiots. And we don't understand you. We don't understand, you know, why you're crying. You know what it means to your husband when you cry? We lost. <laughs> this conversation's over and I just lost. <laughs> We're scared to death of your tears. <laughs> your tears mean, up. Oh, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> and it does, and not only means I lost, it means I'm in trouble. <laughs> How am I going to get out of this one? Because you married a dummy. And why? And husbands, all women are crazy. <laughs> they overreact. They're over, overly emotional. They're emotional about everything. They're always crying. They're always going to make a big deal. Everything is a big deal. Even stuff that's not a big deal to them is a huge deal. Like crumbs on the counter. <laughs> And here's the great problem. Anxiety enters a marriage when wives, you realize how stupid your husband is. And husbands, you realize how crazy your wife is. But the great problem is that it's easy for me to see my wife's craziness, but not so easy for me to see my own stupidity. Yes. <laughs> and when I do stupid things... My wife is tempted to treat me like a child, you know, like the crumbs on the counter. Like, how hard is this? Watch this. <laughs> and when my wife is crazy, it's, I'm tempted to treat her like a child. Like, what's the big deal? Calm down, little girl. It's not a big deal. It's going to be okay. You know, the dumbest man in my whole church was telling me. <laughs> he said, I don't think me and my wife can have children yet. I said, why? He says, because she acts so much like a child, I can't take care of two kids. And I, I looked at him, I said, do you understand how stupid you are? And I started to recount to him just the stupidity that he had done in the previous few days. I was like, you're just as big a child as she is. But you can't see your little child. All you see is her little child. And it's so easy for me to judge my wife when I see her child, but then excuse my child. And one of the keys to dealing with anxiety in a marriage is if I can just remember how stupid I am. Because I've done some whoppers. <laughs> I bought these leather coats one time. No, anyway, so. <laughs> I've just done some really stupid things that later I think back on them like, was I high? Like, what was I thinking? I'm ashamed to even tell you some of the stupid stuff that I did. If I can just remember one of those things. And every time I'm tempted to judge my wife for overreacting to something, I think, well, I did buy those leather coats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, all right, she's okay. We're okay. How many leather coats? Yeah. <laughs> I said coats, plural. <laughs> but I was thinking, this is a birthday. No, I'm just kidding. It, <clears throat> it was just stupid. It's just retarded. That's all. It's just dumb. Right? So, back to the scripture. Do not. Yes, my wife's going to add. He'll end with the scripture. You know, we have in our brain, all of us, we have left, right, front, and back brain. Okay? Oftentimes, left brain is, you know, math, science, logical, right? 
you know, we process things. You know, right brain is more feelings and, you know, uh, all five, you know, like fear, happy, sad, anger, all, all feel, imagination, pic picture, holistic. Front is dominated by um, goals and desires, and back brain is dominated by fear. And so when Benjamin talks about fear, right, when you allow anxiety to remain, you know what happens? That means your back brain dominates. And back brain does not have an access to processing logically. It just, it just feels like I sense fear and I need to get out. And so when once back brain takes over, you will do whatever it takes for you to get out of a situation that is uncomfortable and that is painful. But as doing that, you perpetuate more pain and more um, uncomfortable situations in your life. And so in marriages, right, if you don't really deal with the fear and anxiety that you possess. And often, it's not your husband or your wife that hurt you so much that your back brain just took over. It also came from your childhood. So, for example, with Benjamin, before his father rededicated his life to Jesus, he was a very angry, critical man, right? And so, He'd be home watching TV or just relaxing, and once his, he hears his father, anxiety, fear fills his heart and mind, turns off the TV, and he just prepares himself to get in trouble. And you know what? Probably 10 out of 10 times he got in trouble. So even if dad told him to clean and he did his best to clean, dad would come back to check, and he would find one little lint in the corner and he would get in trouble, right? And because of that, he thinks he's always in trouble with me. And I'm like, all I did was ask a question. Now, I have my own childhood, and the way I may have asked that question may not have came out <laughs> in a sweet way. But, you know, I'm thinking that's how my family talks. You know, we're very volatile. You know, we say what is on our mind, but we don't mean anything by it. We turn around and we forgot and I'm ready to dance with you and play with you. You know what I mean? But then it's like, I just said, hey, why'd you put that in? Why'd you, why'd you, why'd you use that? Like our first year in our marriage, we had nice dinner. We cooked together. We ate together. And then we were putting away leftover food. And this man of God. Like the smartest man I thought existed on earth, took out another dish, okay, a dish, put the leftover food from one dish, <laughs> put it on the other dish, <laughs> and put a saran wrap around it. And I'm thinking, I opened the Tupperware. You see these uh, Tupperwares? <laughs> Why'd you use that for? Uh, because I didn't understand why. Is there logical reason? Like, did your mom teach you? I was really just curious. I wasn't mad. You know, so I was like, what'd you use that for? And I looked at Tupperwares, and he's like, what do you mean why I'm, I could use whatever? And I'm thinking, he's like, and then we're like, what? What's going on? And what he heard from me when I said, what'd you use that for? What he heard was, you stupid. You, don't you know any better, right? So he heard his father's voice when I asked, right? So often in marriages, we live with anxiety and fear from our childhood. And this is so important. You could write this down. Your spouse is never the cause of your pain. Oh, but you don't know. He bought five leather jackets <laughs> or three, three leather jackets. What was the name? What's the famous Italian leather? Huh? Almani? Well, he thought it was Almani, but he forgot. He didn't see it was Altani or something like that. <laughs> he thought I could make money, right? <laughs> Anyways, see, when he did that, we barely had enough money to pay bills. 
right? He did it he thinking, I'm going to make more money for our family because we barely had enough. This is the beginning of our marriage. But then when he did that, there's no way we're going to be able to sell, what, all Tonys for all money, like prices, right? So we just lost the money that he spent, and it's painful. So to me, I feel like you caused me pain, right? But oftentimes, no, not oftentimes, all the, everybody say all the time. Your spouse is a trigger, not a cause. If you see an iceberg, right, what comes outside of the water is just a little tip, right? What we see in our, and in our spouse is the tip, but what you see under the water is much bigger. And so you think, if I just want to stop you spending money, don't buy this, don't buy for everybody. You don't have the right to buy for everybody when you can't even pay your bills, right? So I'm attacking the iceberg. Or stop looking at the phone. Look at me. Can we spend one hour without looking at the phone? And so I'm attacking the, the, the tip. And I'm thinking if we could just fix the tip, I'll be all right. But even if we fixed it, guess what? If you, if you shave off the tip of the iceberg, you know what happens? It comes up. The re what we need to do is attack the bottom, the root cause of why we carry anxiety and fear. Why I react to my husband like that and why he becomes a little boy and he gets so scared. It's not me. I'm not the cause of making him an insecure little boy that's scared. I, I did not cause that. He came into this marriage with that already, right? And I came into this marriage with, you know, just a little, right? <laughs> but he's not the cause. He's the trigger, you understand? And once we understand that, we could really go deeper in our marriage and really grow in intimacy. Now I'm not attacking him for that tip of the iceberg, but I get to play a part of bringing healing into the bottom of that iceberg. You hear me? Often you make many mistakes because your back brain has dominated. Often for guys, your back in your, when you have difficulty with your wives, your back brain dominates. Once it dominates, guess what? Like what like goal orientation goes out of the way. And so even if you go to the store and your wife said, buy me eggs, lettuce, and ketchup, you're going to come back with, <laughs> I need eggs. Where's eggs? Uh, you're so afraid to not buy the right thing, you're going to really buy the wrong thing because your back brain takes over. Often for women, our right brain takes over. Because of the pain, so much pain, our right brain, it kind of burns out. And when the right brain takes over, our left brain just becomes the slave. Our left brain is able to be logical and speak truth into our right brain. But once our right brain takes over, our left brain becomes the slave of our right brain. And so we don't get to process all like our left brain uses the words that our right brain is saying, you don't love me anymore. Right? If you loved me, you wouldn't have done. Right? You love your coworkers more. You love ministry more. You, you don't care about our children. What father really would not care? But our, when our right brain takes over, it really feels like, selfish. All you care about is yourself. Our right brain takes over. And we need to understand that we're not going to allow one part, one-fourth of our brain to dominate our marriage. You know what? We're going to, if we are intentional, we could use all four, all whole sides of our brain so that we could become, right, so we don't walk in anxiety or fear from one another, and we could become that, 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 that hand of God, the heart of God, the words of God to make each other more like Jesus, like we said last night, so that we could present the bride of Christ at the end. Amen? So, I think... 
it should be clear by now that we're all transgressors. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. How many people can say here that you are walking in full obedience to that command every day, every moment? Like you are never anxious about anything. Anybody? If so, I need you to come preach the rest of this sermon. Because I am disqualified. The question is, how do you deal with your anxiety? When you're walking on the road together and you're dealing with anxiety together, What do you do with that anxiety? He says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer. When he says, but in all things through prayer, what he means is when you sense that anxiety has begun to infiltrate your heart, he's literally not saying that you should never, ever experience anxiety. What he means is don't go on being anxious about anything. Don't accept anxiety as your way of life. Yeah. Don't just, just, well, I guess this is just what it is, and I guess there's no way to deal with this. And No, no, no. In all things through prayer, the problem is not that we experience anxiety. The problem is we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. In all things through prayer, and that word there for prayer is prosuke. It literally means, literally, Prayer addressed to God. And let me tell you why that's important, because the essence of prayer is basically a request. You see the word, there's different words for prayer used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. One of the words for prayer in the New Testament is deasis, which actually appears in this verse. He says, through prayer and petition. The word petition, deasis, literally also means prayer, which means to make a request. But it's used not only for God, but of people. I pray thee. You say, I pray thee. Would you please? Any request you make of anyone is technically a prayer. But prosuke is a particular kind of prayer. It's a prayer addressed to God. Literally, Paul, he uses a word that can only be interpreted one way. Make your request to God. Meaning, instead... Of, st- of turning to your spouse first with your anxiety or turning away from your spouse and toward other things with your anxiety, turn to God. Yeah. That's real simple, isn't it? <laughs> Whenever you experience anxiety, turn to God. Yeah. We could just bow our heads, close our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is we just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. most, most of the time we don't. Feel anxiety in your marriage, the first thing you do is turn to God. And so Jesus sees these two disciples walking down the road and they're talking together and they're, they're, they're creating this fellowship of anxiety and fear. Yeah. They're talking to one and this is oftentimes what marital discussions look like. A fellowship of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Just projecting it onto one another. Everything's bad. That's why he calls us sheep. How you doing? Bad, bad. It's bad, bad. (laughs) And Jesus graciously interrupts this fellowship of fear and begins to subtly inject faith into it by taking them back to the word of God, taking their mind off of their fear and putting their mind on the word of God. And as he begins to open the scriptures to them, their hearts begin to burn within them and they don't even realize that it's happening. One of the greatest problems in our marriages is that very few of us have solid spiritual practices at the root. A solid time with God that we can share with one another. Going to God with your anxiety is more important than, and see, this is the key. When my wife talked about the trigger and the cause, what tends to happen is that when I don't understand that my wife is only the trigger and not the cause, this, this is a huge concept that sometimes can take us years to actually get. When I don't understand that my wife is only the trigger and not the cause, 
I project 100% of the solution onto her. All I need in life is for her to change. And if she changed, my life would be better. And I would be happier. And 100% of my problem in life is her. That's the implication when I see her as the cause rather than the trigger. But when I understand that she is the trigger and not the cause, I understand that even if she became the perfect wife that I described last night, that even if we went to sleep tonight and I woke up tomorrow morning and she was wearing a humble <laughs> and had my breakfast on the table, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, even if she became that wife, it wouldn't solve my problems. My problems would manifest in some other way. Even if I could shave off the, the tip of the iceberg, more would come up from underneath. Why? Because she is not the cause of my pain. She's the trigger. And when we say she's the trigger, it means she, things that she does activates the awareness of my unresolved childhood trauma. The problem with the disciples is that they were bringing their anxiety to one another. And when you bring your anxiety to one another, you're taking your anxiety to one who cannot solve it with you or solve it for you, but is simply going to be as anxious as you are because yeah. they have their own anxiety to deal with. My wife and I went on a walk recently. And um, as we were walking, she said to me, so tell me about your process. We were dealing with something in our, in our marriage, and, and uh, she said, well, tell me about your process. And, and this, this, I'm sharing this with you because it was such a breakthrough moment for me. And I said, uh, she's like, well, tell me, you know, what you were thinking at this time. And I was like, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I did remember, but I was scared to tell her. Because, in my mind, this is what I thought. If I tell you what I was thinking at that day, this is about to be a fight. <laughs> and we're having such a wonderful time walking by this lake. <laughs> I would rather just pretend everything is great <laughs> than to have a fight with you. And she's like, you don't remember? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and she's like, she said, okay, well, let me tell you about my process. And she starts telling me about what she was feeling during the situation. But then she starts telling me about how she dealt with it before the Lord and what the Lord said to her and how the Lord was working in her heart through it. And at some point I thought, maybe it is safe to share. <laughs> so I started sharing well, I was thinking this, and actually I was feeling this. And matter of fact, I've been feeling that for the last 17 and a half years since we got married. And matter of fact, when you do this, it hurts me more, and I need, this. And I need you to do this. And she was so calm. I couldn't believe it. When I thought about it later, I was like, she didn't react. She didn't go crazy. She didn't yell and scream at me. She just said this to me. She said, when I asked you to share with me your process, and when I shared with you my process, I wasn't trying to get something from you, nor did I expect you to try to get something from me. I just wanted to hear, where are you in your process with the Lord? And I wanted to tell you, this is where I am in my process with the Lord. And at that moment, I just shut up. <laughs> because it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, snap, she's so right. But I can't say that right now. <laughs> Not because I'm too proud, maybe because I'm too proud, but because it would feel disingen disingenuous to say, oh, you're right. Like everything I just said was wrong. But we got home, and I, I went to the Lord, and I meditated on it, and I prayed about it for a while. And then I went upstairs and said, you know what? You are so right. Like, 
I was trying to get something from you in that conversation, and you were simply informing me of your process with the Lord. You were trying to get something from the Lord, and then you were just wanting to share with me where you are in your process. I was trying to get something from you, and then I was going to go back and tell the Lord how it went wrong. (laughs) This is such an important key. Often, we project our anxiety on each other, and then even if we do go to the Lord, we go to the Lord to complain. I'm trying to get my wife to change. I'm trying to show her that it's her fault. And then when it doesn't work, I go to the Lord and say, see, this woman doesn't care about me. And that's completely backward. As I was thinking about that, I realized that before Sonny and I started dating, we had the most awesome friendship ever. We had a wonderful friendship. Our friendship was so spiritual. Every day when we would talk, we were constantly sharing spiritual things. This is what the Lord said to me. This is what God is dealing with in my life. This is what God showed me in scripture. This is what God gave me. Last night I was in prayer and God spoke this to me. What about you? And she'd share, this is what the Lord gave me. This is what the Lord said to me. Last night I was in scripture and God gave me this. And we're constantly sharing the things of God. And when we started dating, I thought we're going to have the most awesome relationship ever because we're so spiritual and spirituality in our walk for, with Christ and our love for Christ is at the heart of our relationship with one another. How wrong was I? And I thought over the years, what went wrong? You know what I realized went wrong? We started trying to get things from one another first. When things changed for the two disciples as they walked down the road to Emmaus, they changed because Jesus interrupted the fellowship of fear. And then reoriented their hearts toward the word of God. And all of a sudden they begin to experience what's called the fellowship of the burning heart. When they got to the city, they got to the city and Jesus was going to keep going and it said they constrained him. First of all, when Jesus first appears on the, the scene, it says Jesus walked with them, but their eyes were restrained and they could not recognize him. First, their eyes are restrained, and then they get to the city, and Jesus is going to walk on, but they constrained him, and they said, abide with us, for the day is far spent. And so he stayed with them, and he went into the room with them, and then he sat down and said, children, have you any bread? And they gave him bread, and he blessed it and broke it. And the moment he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It said, Jesus was known by them in the breaking of bread. He was made known to them in the breaking of bread, which is the perfect metaphor, the perfect symbol of our fellowship as believers of Jesus Christ. He is made known to us in the breaking of bread. And then they look at one another and said, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. That is what marriage is supposed to look like. The two of us walking on the road with Jesus, our hearts burning within us as he opens the scriptures to us. That's what marriage is supposed to look like between believers in Jesus Christ. Their eyes were restrained from seeing him because they were wallowing in their anxiety and fear. And when we're wallowing in our anxiety and fear, even though Jesus is walking with us on the road, we can't even see him. We're not even aware of his presence, even though he's right there. How often have you said, God, where are you? We need more of God in our marriage. I'm telling you, he's walking right on the road with you. But in order to cause us to become aware of his presence... He's got to take our minds off of our anxieties and fears. And he's got to set our minds back on the word of God. And he's got to begin to open the scriptures to us. The most powerful thing we could do individually is set our hearts on knowing the Lord. Lord, would you open the scriptures to me and then come back to the road and share that with one another? How powerful would this be? Let's say I'm hurt by my wife. Let's go back to the the breadcrumbs. Crumbs from the, let's say, let's say I come home and she goes, how many times have I had to tell you with the crumbs? Watch this. <laughs> right? 
So that whole thing happens, right? And I'm really hurt by my wife. What if after dinner, I went into the room and closed the door and turned on some worship music and then turned to the Lord and turned to the scriptures and my heart begins to burn within me again. And then later I can sit down with my wife and say, you know, I was really hurt when I came in and you exploded about the crumbs. That really hurt me. And I'm sure you were really hurting when you came home and noticed that I left the crumbs because you've told me so many times. But you know what? I took some time to fellowship with God. And, the, and number one, the Lord's presence became so real to me and he took all of that hurt and pain away. But number two, I realized I continue to leave the crumbs on the counter because when I was a little boy, no matter how hard I tried to clean things, my father was not pleased. And I, I just kind of developed this this sense of what's the use of trying to clean? It's never going to be good enough. And so I lost all discipline when it comes to cleaning things. And I'm sorry, but I believe the Lord is healing me. Now, all of a sudden, I'm coming back to her and sharing with her, this is my journey with the Lord that goes all the way back to my childhood. Another way to handle that situation is to project all of it onto her. You know what? Every time I come home, you're always screaming about something. You're never pleased with anything I do. And, and all of a sudden, I'm just letting that little boy vent all of his frustrations on her when actually that little boy's frustrated with dad, not her. It's always about coming back to Jesus, allowing him to open our hearts and minds. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't go on being anxious about anything. But in all things through prayer. And if there's anything I believe the Lord is asking us for today is a commitment yeah. to turn back to the Lord with our anxiety. To give our, listen, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, come, first he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 and 28. What is Jesus saying? You don't have to carry your anxiety and your fear. Because in marriage, and what I've learned is, especially when you've been married a long time, how many of you have been married more than a decade here? Raise your hand. How many more than 15 years? Keep your hands raised. More than 20 years. So we got three couples. How about more than 30 years? Oh, ancient of days. <laughs> Anybody more than 40 years? <laughs> Not quite, right? 32 years, is it, Moksayim, some of you? 33 years, wow. That's how long, you know, Jesus died at 33, so. <laughs> <laughs> Your marriage is as long as his ministry. <laughs> as long as his life. Time is not the great healer. The fact that you've been married for a long time doesn't mean things get better. Sometimes it simply means that we just have to accept things. But you know who's the great healer? Jesus is the great healer the great physician. Yeah. My great admonition to you today is don't give up. Yeah. Two things. Number one, don't give up. Yeah. Don't stop caring. Yeah. Don't just accept in your heart it is what it is and it's not going to get any better and I guess I just have to accept. Go to Jesus. Yeah. But the second admonition is number one, don't give up. But number two, don't try to get it from your spouse. Give up on trying to get your spouse to change. Don't give up believing that your spouse can change. Yeah. Give up thinking that you can change your spouse. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. Don't give up believing that your spouse can cha change. You got to keep believing. Why? Because God is still God. He can change anybody. In order to stop believing that your spouse can change, you got to stop believing God is God. But stop believing that you can change your spouse. 
Stop believing because one of the great fallacies in marriage is that we believe that if I could just inflict a little more pain on my spouse than I have, they'll, they'll finally change. All right? Maybe I just haven't yelled loud enough. <laughs> Maybe I haven't told them as forcefully as I possibly could that they need to change in this area. Stop believing you can change your spouse. Give that up. But don't stop. Maybe you need to start believing that God can change your spouse. And you know what's crazy? Is that if you begin to believe God to change your spouse and you begin to come to him, you know what's going to happen? He's going to change you first. And you know what we are going to experience is a recovery of our friendship. When we go back to being sojourners on the road whose hearts are burning within us because we're sharing with one another what we're receiving from the presence of Jesus, that's when our marriage changes. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we love you today. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall on every heart and every mind. Lord, so much disillusionment that happens in even the average marriage. The disillusionment that comes when what we expected is not fulfilled when our hopes are dashed. But Father, I pray that you would remove the disillusionment and replace it with faith. Number one, faith that you know exactly what we need. Maybe my spouse has not turned out to be the spouse that I thought I needed, but they're definitely the spouse that you knew I needed. And so would you teach us to come to you with our anxiety and to come to you with our fear? To make a commitment right here and now in this place. I'm not going to take my anxiety and project it on my spouse anymore. I'm going to take it and project it on the Lord. But secondly, even if my spouse does take their anxiety and project it on me, I'm not going to give it back. I'm going to hold it and I'm going to take it to the Lord. I'm not going to blame I'm not going to judge. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to believe. Lord, we, we truly want to live out Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, come right now. I just want to give you about two minutes just to soak in the presence of the Lord. To let the Holy Spirit do a work deep down in your heart and soul. The foundation of forgiveness is the recognition that I've been going to the wrong source. I've been taking my anxiety back to my spouse instead of taking it to the Lord. I've been treating my spouse like the cause and not the trigger. I've been so shallow. I think it's all my spouse's fault, all of the pain that I feel. And I don't recognize that it goes so much deeper, so much further back than my spouse. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd release a new faith, a new ability to believe for something more, something greater, a marriage for better and not for worse. Just begin to seek the face of God just for a few minutes.
Lord Jesus, you're walking with us on the road, but we can't see you. We, we can't recognize you because we're still clinging to our fear and anxiety. But today, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would take us back to the scriptures so that our hearts would burn within us as we walk with you on the road. God, we relinquish our fear and our anxiety right now. We relinquish our unbelief right now. Where we've given up, God, we, we say we will give up no more. Let there be an awakening of hope, an awakening of hope, an awakening of hope where we've lost hope, God. Let there be an awakening of hope right now in the name of Jesus. 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 Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Yes, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we break every stronghold of the enemy in our minds, Lord. That the enemy has deceived us, God, to make us believe, God, the wrong things about you, about our spouse. That sometimes we feel so hopeless because of those strongholds in our minds. But we, Father, by the blood of Jesus, Father, we break that stronghold, the wrong beliefs that we have of each other right now, God. We break it in Jesus' name. Father, by the authority you've given us in the name of Jesus, Father, we break the power of the lies of the enemy, God, that tells us, God, that we are helpless, that we are hopeless. Father, we break it in Jesus' name. And we come into your presence and we surrender our fears. We surrender our anxieties to God and we lay it at the altar and we ask Lord for your fire to come and consume fire come upon our fears that we lay upon your altar consume it God consume it right now come on I want you to lay lay your fears lay your anxieties lay your hopelessness helplessness before God right now he's here in his presence let his presence come and consume consume it all Lord, I pray that you would tenderize our hearts, especially us men, God. Lord, we can be so emotionally unexpressive. We can be so distant. Sometimes our wives can feel like they can't reach us no matter how hard they try. But God, I pray that you would break us out of our shell today, God. Break us out of our shell so we don't live in a shell anymore, but that our wives would feel that we are present emotionally present from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to sleep at night that we are present that they feel like that 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 lord lord jesus you said to your bride whatever you ask of me i'll give to you god let our hearts as husbands be for our brides whatever you ask of me i'll give to you whatever you ask in my name that will i give to you Whatever you ask in my name, Lord, give us husbands that heart. Husbands, I, I, I want you to just begin to pray right now that God would give you the same heart for your bride that Jesus has for his bride. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I give to you. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit. Let there be an awakening in our hearts. Let there be an awakening in our hearts. Lord, we can believe for so many things, but for some reason, one of the most difficult things to believe for is our marriage. We can believe even for blind eyes and deaf ears. We can believe for financial breakthrough. We can believe for new buildings for our churches. We can believe for all kinds of things, but when it comes to believing for our marriages, we tend to be so filled with unbelief, so filled with fear, but Father, right now, I pray you shake us free from that unbelief. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of unbelief that attacks our marriages. In the name of Jesus, we renounce that spirit of unbelief. God, open our eyes so that we can see that unbelief is a demonic spirit that causes us to depart from the living God. I want you just to begin to speak out loud and say, I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. Just begin to say it. I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. Say it out loud. I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. I renounce and reject 
the spirit of unbelief. I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. I renounce and reject the spirit of unbelief. Now say this, I receive the spirit of faith. 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 I receive the spirit of faith in Jesus' name. Lord, you said whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I bind the spirit of unbelief over every marriage in this place. In Jesus' name, I bind the spirit of unbelief over every marriage under the sound of my voice. And in every marriage that even hears the recording of this session, in Jesus' name, I bind the spirit of unbelief. <coughs> I renounce you in Jesus' name. And I release the spirit of faith to every heart. With this same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. Father, teach us to speak to one another out of the spirit of faith and not the spirit of unbelief. Teach us to speak to one another out of the spirit of faith and not the spirit of unbelief. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Mm. Now just begin to give God thanks. Let's just seal it with thanksgiving. Seal it with thanksgiving. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. Come on, stand up on your feet. Lift up your hands and just begin to worship him and thank him and give him praise. God, we worship you. We worship you. We give you praise. We adore you. We thank you, Lord. Come on, thank him with a loud voice. Just use your voices. We give you all praise and glory in the name of your son, Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.